you're probably already turning to the reading, as well as he mentioned it. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 1 to 19. Jesus and John the Baptist. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Thanks, Jackie. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. Father God, as uh, Jesus came to give the blind sight and enable the deaf to hear, we pray this evening that you would give us sight, that we would see Jesus in all his glory. You would enable us to hear from you, to hear clearly about what you would have us know about him this evening and we pray that as we do so Lord we would go from here with a greater confidence that Jesus really is the Messiah in his name we pray Amen well fans of the uh, the Netflix series The Crown are we pleased to know it's back on our screens and uh, picks up the story of Queen Elizabeth in 1964 a great year for, for some of us, um, 
when uh, Harold Wilson is elected as Prime Minister, some of you may remember those days, um, shows the TV courage, coverage of the election campaign, quite different from the uh, coverage of this year's election campaign, um, but also shows the fear of some of those surrounding the Queen um, about somebody who they even considered possibly could be a Russian spy, um, could be elected as Prime Minister of this country. Of course, he was elected, as we know, and uh, the Queen is somewhat anxious about their first meeting. But she soon um, warms to this straight-talking Yorkshireman and comments afterwards that he wasn't what she expected. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we've met someone for the first time who we've heard about, and they turn out to be quite different from our expectations. Our passage this evening includes two questions about two different people. One is from John the Baptist's disciples to Jesus. When they ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Implicit in that question is, you're not quite what we expected. And then there is the question phrased in three different ways from Jesus to the crowd. When you went out to the wilderness, he says to them, to see John the Baptist, what did you expect? Again, the implication is that he was not what they expected. Over the last four weeks, we've been looking at the theme of of mission in chapter 10 of Matthew. And we saw how Jesus sent out his disciples with the instructions to proclaim the message about the kingdom. And to do miracles, to demonstrate the truth of what they were saying. We heard Jesus warn his disciples that they should expect persecution. But they shouldn't be afraid. Because their enemies can only kill the body, but not the soul. And in any case, we have a heavenly father who who values us and who cares for us. And the chapter finished with a clear calling to belong to Jesus. Which comes with a promise. Have a look back at the end of chapter 10. It says there, whoever acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Well, as we go into chapter 11, we, there's this link phrase that occurs in a similar form in five different times in the Gospel of Matthew, breaking the, the whole Gospel up into five sections. It's that phrase after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. We read that phrase at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 7, where it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things. And we'll come across it again at the end of chapter 13, where it says at the end of uh, the parable of the sower, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. And what this little section here, chapter 11 to 13, covers is the response of people to Jesus. Jesus has sent his disciples out with the gospel. And now he's continuing here to teach and preach himself. Now that word to preach uh, is not necessarily preaching as we understand it. It is really simply proclaim. It's a proclamation of the gospel. The teaching is really about helping people to understand the meaning and the implications of the gospel for their lives. What we see in our passage is Jesus explaining who he is and who John the Baptist is. 
the explanation of who he is comes in response to a question from uh, John the Baptist's disciples. John is in prison. He's been put there by, by Herod Antipas because he had the courage to speak out against Herod's adultery. And outspokenness, that would eventually cost him his life. While in prison, John has heard about what Jesus has been up to. And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question in verse 3. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, at one level, that's quite a strange question from someone who previously has given a very strong reference for Jesus. After all, in John's Gospel, we're told that John said, The one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So what's happened now to, to make him unsure? Well, it may be that Jesus' ministry hasn't turned out to be quite what John expected. If we turn back to chapter 3 of, of Matthew, have a look at verse 11 of chapter 3. There we read John saying, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, there doesn't yet appear to be much evidence of Jesus' winnowing fork in action. It wouldn't have been unreasonable for John to expect Jesus to do something about his unjust imprisonment. Where was the judgment that had been promised? Where was the release for captives? Why is Jesus just traveling around healing people and teaching them about God? He doesn't even fast like uh, John's disciples do. Also, when you're languishing in prison, maybe you're not able to think quite as clearly. Maybe doubts have started to creep in. Was Jesus really the Messiah? Or was he another prophet like himself? Maybe the real Messiah was still to come. Well, instead of allowing such doubts to take root, John sends his disciples to Jesus to hear what he himself has to say about who he is. And they ask him that question, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus makes clear that he is the Messiah. He tells uh, John's disciples to go back to him, to report what they hear and see. In other words, what Jesus is saying and what he's doing, which is in verse 5, the fact that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is performing miracles, and not just any miracles. John would recognize these specific things that Jesus has mentioned here from the Old Testament scriptures, which John would have known um, by heart. John would have known that in the book of Isaiah, it would have said this, 
previous to those verses. Then it says, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. John would have known that in chapter 61 it would have said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus is saying firstly that the miracles that he is doing demonstrate the fulfillment of these prophecies. That the one who was prophesied hundreds of years earlier has now come. And he's right there in front of them. Jesus is looking to God to confirm his identity as the Son of God. And he does that by showing that the word of God has been fulfilled. But secondly, the miracles demonstrate Jesus' divine power. The Messiah hasn't just come to heal physically. He's come to heal people spiritually. He's come to save them. He doesn't just give the blind back their sight. He opens the eyes of the spiritually blind to see their sin and their need for a saviour. He doesn't just enable the lame and disabled to walk again. He enables them to follow him and walk in his ways. He doesn't just heal the lepers. He enables spiritual lepers, which is all of us, to be clean and come into the presence of God himself. He doesn't just enable the deaf to hear. He enables the spiritually deaf to hear and understand the gospel. He doesn't just raise the physically dead. He gives life to the spiritually dead. He doesn't just proclaim the good news to those who have little money, but to those who are spiritually poor. And he concludes by saying that blessing, the joy of receiving God's favor comes to anyone who does not stumble on account of him. In other words, anyone who sees Jesus for who he truly is and puts their trust in him as their savior. Someone who doesn't take offense at Jesus. Now, of course, there's one thing missing from those words which Jesus says that is there in the prophecies. And that he doesn't quote. What is that? Well, it's the words of judgment, isn't it? Jesus makes no reference to judgment. Why not? Well, probably because it wasn't immediate. Um, Judgment was still to come. Jesus had first come to deal with the judgment that everybody deserved, that we all deserve. He came to deal with that by dying on the cross so we can be forgiven. That will come at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry. But Jesus makes it clear for now that he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. But before John's disciples go back to him with that message, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd about John. Um, He doesn't want them to think that he's in any way disappointed with, with John. And as John was asking Jesus, what sort of Messiah should we expect? Jesus asked the crowd three times, what sort of prophet? Did you expect? 
And he proceeds to, to give a great character reference for John. Have a look down in the, the, uh, the passage there. In verse 7. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? He's saying, did you expect someone who would be a, a politician? Who would change his teaching or behavior to remain popular with the people? Somebody easily swayed? No, John was clear in his prophetic teaching. He was clear in his life of obedience. He would not be swayed by the expectations of the crowd. He wouldn't be tempted to, to compromise his faith out of fear of those in authority. He was prepared to stand up to King Herod, even if his life was threatened. I wonder if the same could be said of us. Are we swayed by the the wind? Are we swayed by those around us? Well, Jesus continues, If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. John didn't wear fine clothes. He didn't wear or soft clothes, as it could be translated. He wore clothes of camel's hair, a leather belt. He wasn't rich according to the world's understanding of rich, but he was spiritually rich. Again, how much are we influenced by the, the expectations of the world? And how much by Jesus' teaching in terms of the sort of lifestyle that we should lead? Jesus finishes, truly I tell you, among those born of, let me go back a bit, verse 9, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. A prophet was the highest calling anyone could receive. He was a spokesman of God himself. And because the Jews hadn't heard or seen a prophet for the hundreds of years before John, they flocked out to the wilderness to hear what he had to say. John wasn't just any old prophet. He was himself the fulfillment of prophecy. In the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And he carries on, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. John is the one like Elijah who was prophesied to be the forerunner of Jesus. In one way, all the prophets were pointing to, to Jesus, but John was the last prophet to come before the arrival of Jesus himself. And he didn't just come to tell people that Jesus was coming. He came to prepare the way. When Brazil hosted the, uh, the World Cup in 2014 and the Olympics in 2016, they prepared for the arrival of dignitaries from all over the world. They cleared out the, uh, the favelas of uh, the drug gangs. They made sure the roads were smooth and safe. 
They built cycle paths. They improved all the transport connections in the whole city. John didn't prepare the way for Jesus in that way. He didn't try and get the crowd on side before Jesus arrived, so he got a good welcome. Now, John came to prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus as their king. And he did that by preaching repentance, by making people aware of their sin. When people were baptized by John, they were acknowledging their sin and their need for cleansing. What they weren't yet aware of was how that cleansing of sin was going to take place. How would they be forgiven? John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sins I'm, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is affirming John as a great prophet. But the interesting little throwaway line is that despite the fact that John is such a great prophet, Have a look at verse 11, what it says there. It says, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Here is this wonderful prophet whose Jesus has been extolling, but he's not as great as the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven. By that, he's not diminishing the importance of John's role, but highlighting that John proceeded and pointed ahead to the coming kingdom of heaven. Those who are in the kingdom of heaven are not greater because of their role or achievement, but because of the privilege of belonging to the kingdom of heaven. Later on in chapter 18, Jesus' disciples will ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What does Jesus do? Remember, he takes a child and he replies, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in the eyes of Jesus is about humility and recognizing our unworthiness. You cannot enter the kingdom through violence or by force, but by accepting Jesus is the king, the one to whom John pointed and by submitting to him. But sadly, not everybody is willing to do that. And instead, people will come up with different excuses for rejecting Jesus. When you talk to your friends about Jesus, I'm sure they will have different views as to who he was. In a survey um, in the UK a couple of years ago, it was found um, that approximately one in five uh, Adults say they believe Jesus was God in human form. Three in ten, 29% say they believe he was a prophet. About um, 22% believe he was mythical or a fictional character. 17%, I skipped over that one, thought he was just a normal human being. And others don't know. If people don't yet believe in Jesus Christ then the most common view is that he was um, what is called here a prophet or a good moral teacher. Some of we know C.S. Lewis's argument that logically there, there are actually only three possibilities of who Jesus could be. He's either mad, or he's bad, or he's God. Because if he said he was God, 
and he wasn't really, then either he was deranged or he was evil, but he couldn't be good. The only other logical consequence is that he must be God. From the record in the, of his life we read in the Gospels, there doesn't appear to be anything bad about Jesus. He's good, but he can't be simply a good moral teacher. But leaving that aside, I guess the issue is why do people not accept that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is truly the Messiah? Have a look at what it says there in verse 16. Because even though Jesus' miracles were signs of his power, even then, when people saw his miracles happen right in front of their eyes, they still didn't acknowledge that he was from God. And so Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. The marketplace was the center of the community and it appears the children would go there. They would uh, watch what was going on. They'd want to get involved in something. So at a wedding, they, they played the pipe but nobody danced. At a funeral, they they sang a dirge, but nobody mourned. Nobody was interested. Nobody would cooperate. Nothing they could do was right. The thing is, when people are determined to harden their hearts, then they will come up with any excuse not to accept Jesus as who he says he is. In Jesus' day, people still rejected him as the Messiah. And we'll see more of that next week. The people reject John because they they claimed, well, he led this strange lifestyle. He, He had strange eating habits. He lived in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. He wasn't normal. Therefore, he must have had a demon. Jesus did eat and drink like normal people, and and they rejected him for that. They called him a glutton and a drunkard. What they really didn't like about him was that he mixed with tax collectors and sinners. The reason people reject Jesus is often not anything to do with him. They've rarely examined or even understood the claims of Jesus. But they cannot accept that they are not in control of their life, that somebody else could have a claim on their life. They're not willing to change their lifestyle. They don't accept that they're particularly bad people, and often they're not. But of course, they're measuring themselves against other people. They're not measuring themselves against a perfect God. Of all the excuses you've heard from those who reject the Christian faith, how many of them are because... They dislike the person of Jesus. There's actually nothing to dislike about him, is there? And that is why probably the most effective method of evangelism is to to read the Bible with a non-Christian. Introduce them to the real Jesus. Allow God to speak to them directly through his word. Or finally, what matters most is living according to God's wisdom and not people's expectations. Have a look at the end of um, the passage that was read in verse 19. It finishes with these profound words. Wisdom is proved right 
by her deeds. What does that mean? Well, it means that just as Jesus' words and actions were misunderstood, he still lived according to God's wisdom and not the wisdom of the world. And we need to do the same. We will be misunderstood. We will be unfairly criticized, just as Jesus was. And we'll be tempted to try and win the argument. We'll be tempted to try and look wise in the world's eyes. But as Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We will be tempted to to change the gospel message, to to water it down, to make it more appealing. Maybe just to focus on the love of God, ignore the whole judgment stuff. People don't like that. We may be tempted to adapt our our behavior to to fit in and not, not stand out. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, but he never changed his beliefs, his behavior, or his message. As they heard him, as they saw him and his behavior, they changed their lives. After Jesus went to eat with Zacchaeus, uh, the tax collector, Zacchaeus said, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The question for all of us which I want to leave you with is whether whether you are a Christian or not. Is by whose wisdom will you walk by? God's or man's? Because either way, your actions and deeds will prove you right or wrong. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge that um, The only reason that we have accepted Jesus, the only reason we have seen who he really is, is because you opened our blind eyes. Lord, we live amongst people, many of them are friends, our family members, who are still blind to who Jesus is. We know we can't open their eyes that only you can do that, that we can proclaim Jesus to them. We can show by the way we live the difference he's made to our lives as we live by your wisdom. So help us to do that. And as we do so, Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes to see him, 
to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.